we just enjoy life, and, and so did Jesus. And in fact, Jesus' life was interesting. We're going to jump into Luke 15 in a second. And at the beginning of Luke 15, kind of the, towards the end of Jesus' story, ultimately, uh, he's being accused of some stuff. In fact, the religious leaders said that he uh, takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. As if that was an insult, right? It was like, as far as religious people, they wanted to be so set apart, and they see this Jesus befriending everyone, loving all people. And it bothered them because they wanted this hierarchy, and it triggered a story, a sequence of stories, ultimately, in which Jesus identified the heart of God for the lost. And that's where we find ourselves in, in verse 11 of Luke 15. To illustrate the point further, it says, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money on wild living. About that time, as, uh, when his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, aren't you glad we... We all have an opportunity eventually to come to our senses. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embracing him and kissing him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. I almost, I'm imagining in this moment, he didn't quite get all the way through that. I think it was more like, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm, and the father was just like, chit, 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 do it. Shut it down. Awesome rehearsed speech. Incredible. I know you thought about that for a couple, right? But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost. Now he's found. So the party began. Party time, right? Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of his servants, what's going on? Well, your, your brother's back. 
he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because he's safe for his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you, never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. That's way to go, right? Uh, wouldn't that be awesome? Anybody else have a family like that? You, you tell your kids what to do? Okay, I didn't. Okay. So, you know, I, I did everything you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, of yours, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He's lost, but now he's found. I mean, that should be our heart for people, for everybody. When we look at people to our left and our right and our neighborhood and our work and our family, it's like, I want everybody to find Jesus and to have a growing relationship with Jesus because that's the source of true life and peace of mind and like, whew, right? I want that for everyone. And it's funny how this story touches on so many characters and uniquely unpacks an illustration. It's just a story Jesus is telling to really exemplify the love of the Father and show the religious rulers what they're being like, the older brother, right? He's just like giving it to them ultimately, and he makes it really bad. Like he's, he's really milking it, as we'll look at the different elements here in a second, because I don't know, who do you relate with in the story? That's what he's trying to get them to relate with people in the story. But who do you relate with? When you start to take it apart, do you, do you desire freedom and, and like the sun and you're willing to forego everything for that freedom? Like you're even going to disown the very people who can give you the life you're ultimately wanting? Sometimes we make crazy choices and cut ourselves off from those who could ultimately provide the life we thought we wanted now. Maybe the parent, maybe you're in that scenario, you hear the story and you're like, that's exactly how I love and feel for my, my child who's lost, who's wandered away and I just want them home. I want this relationship back. I want to reunite and reconcile. Maybe it's the older brother and if you're honest with yourself and how you feel sometimes it's like it kind of ticks me off that somebody walking through the door who hasn't lived a life right like I have just gets forgiven how is that fair and how do I deal with this tension I'm feeling towards them and and why do I want it just to kind of stay me and us and safe and comfortable instead of letting a mess of people who've lived a messy life walk through the doors no I'm not going to invite anybody for Easter I don't know it's tough you look at the the characters in this story or maybe you're finding yourself coming to your senses today you're here because you kind of like processed life and went 
I might need to make myself come back to the Father because who was better there than here? What I believed was a lie, and now I'm miserable. I'm starving for life, true life. And I need to return. Would a reception just freak you out if you walk in and it's just like, yes, you're here. You know, it's Norm at Cheers. Norm! Right? It's that if you've I dated myself. But anyway, you, you just kind of like, you know, it's unbelievable when you look at this story and the forgiveness and the grace God as the Father image here is God ultimately is extending and it's still active today. God loves you passionately, wholeheartedly and unconditionally no matter how much you may have messed up in your life. Whatever your regrets, baggage, doubts, it's never too late to return to God. Never too late. And he'll accept you, embrace you as a loving father embraces a lost child. The word unbelievable, it's interesting. It's a word that describes either something like really incredible or unbelievable right? It's like, it's like, it's a great word if somebody serves you a meal and you're like, How, do you like it? It's unbelievable. You know, you can use it. It could mean two different things depending on your experience. It's kind of like amazing. Hey, do you like that? Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. You know, depending on your tone, it can mean a bunch of different things, but unbelievable, extraordinary. God's forgiveness is unbelievable. God's Love is unbelievable. The life found in Jesus is unbelievable. And we determine this by our unique experience with God. And over the next three Sundays, we want to dive into this forgiveness and love and, and ultimately life even lived out through the doubts that come our way and how unbelievable God is through it all. Our big idea today is God's forgiveness is unbelievable. And looking through the lens of this story of the lost son, or some of your Bibles might say the prodigal son, it's beautiful imagery of what God has done by sending his son to live a life perfect for us, go to a cross for us, raised three days later from the grave for us. That's what Easter's all about. This is what's called the Passion Week, and it's a week where Jesus was entering into this season of being crucified and ultimately accused and, and, and hung on a cross. It's this week that's both beautiful and miserable. This Friday is a day called Good Friday, and, and it's a day where it's good in the sense that Jesus took our sins upon him on a cross, but it's dark because he gave his life for us. Unimaginable. Unbelievable. And this story Jesus is telling is so incredibly intentional for us to grasp all that this week means. And, and he looks at through the lens of this son, and let's put a little history or context to it in their culture. Two sons, the younger son is the one who's deciding to rebel, and, and he would have been entitled to a third of his father's inheritance. The older brother, two-thirds. So when he comes and approaches his father for his portion of the estate, probably at the age 17, 18, 
He's probably single. He, he just, he wants, I want my money. I'm going to go off and I'm going to do it different than you did, dad. What he's saying in this is ultimately, father, I'm eager for you to die. Can I have my inheritance? Some translations would say, I wish you were dead or others, you're dead to me. That's a painful thing as a father to hear. But what's unbelievable about this? The father, if this scenario were to play out in real life in this context, had every right to just excommunicate his son with no inheritance, shoo him off, condemn him, and never have anything to do with him forever again. Take the family ring, you're done. But he does the unthinkable, the outrageous. He grants his request. He loves him enough to let him kind of figure out the natural consequences of this whole scene. And, and, and it's an act of extraordinary love. It shamed the family in the community. The family would have known, man, his son left and wanted him dead. And it just like had to have hurt. I remember as a little kid, one of my cousins chose to leave her family. And we always played, and she was the oldest cousin, and, and we, you know, she would organize the games, and we would play around at their house, and, and all of a sudden, something happened in between the parents and the daughter, and about the age of 15, 16, somewhere, she left. And it was so confusing, even being in the family, how much more for the family and the community. Painful. Painful. And this even more so culturally, was just awful. What's more, Jesus wanted to spice up the story, right? Because he's making this up for the sake of his audience to illustrate to them the love of God. And when the, when the sun goes out and things go bad and he's going to hit rock bottom, where does he find himself? With pigs in a farm. To them, that was like the ultimate insult because like they were unclean animals. If you touch one, you're unclean. If you touch someone else after you've touched one, they're unclean. Ceremonially, it's all this awkward rules and laws. And so this is a big, he's like making the worst thing you can do, right? What's the worst thing this kid could find himself doing once he hit rock bottom and lost it all? So he's like pig farming and he can't even eat what the pigs are eating. And so he gets this desperate image, right? And that's when the son comes to his senses. He envisions this moment and how it's going to end up. And he starts rehearsing in his mind this story and a speech he needs to make, even to become a servant in his father's house. Like that was his goal. That was his high bar. Hopefully, I can at least be a servant. This is where the shocker begins. Because while he's still probably running through, okay, I'm going to see him. He's going to walk up to me. He's going to be angry. Maybe he'll strike me. That's when I'm going to say, it's okay, Dad, go ahead, because I'm unworthy to be called your son. Make me a slave in your home. He's kind of processing this. And what happens? His father sees him from far off, runs to him, embraces him. Like I'm just imagining myself right now if one of my kids wandered away and, 
uh, you know, I don't run personally. Um, I not very far, at least. And uh, so, if if a son's far off and I decide to run to him, it's going to be an interestingly different scene. There's going to be some different descriptions. Uh, the father runs to him and makes it halfway, falls down, gasps for air, needs assistance, you know, um, starts to cry and wheeze, finally makes it back up. <laughs> I don't know. With oxygen, he breathes in between puffs and says, son, I missed you, you know. But that's not the scene we see here. He runs to his son, so he must have been in good shape, runs to his son, far off, opens his arm and hugs him. He's unclean. He's been with pigs ceremonially this is this is a challenge in the story for everybody like you're you're drawing an image of God they knew what he was doing and you're saying God would embrace and kiss the unclean this is challenging convicting almost a punch to the gut of the religious leaders listening because he wanted them to understand what God thinks of everyone. And he was just drawing the tension in this story. And he's like, not only that, not only did he hug and kiss him, but he gives him sandals for us. He puts a ring back on his finger. He puts a robe on him, which was an honored reception, a ring which says you're back in the family, not a slave. Ring wasn't for a slave, nor were sandals. Sandals weren't for a slave. It was you are family by my very gestures. I'm not listening to your speech Look at how you're received by my actions. And he does all these things that are only for family and a son. And he welcomes them back in. And then throws the most lavish party. With the most exquisite meal possible for him to throw. He wasn't whipping. He wasn't rebuking. This is truly a gracious response. Which makes the older brother's response kind of awkward, right? Like, okay, so he's mad. He's upset. He's never had a party thrown for him. And I get it. You can feel like that at times. I was the recipient of that kind of a spirit. I came back to the Lord when I was 21 years old. And I remember some well-intentioned followers of Jesus helping me understand that I could never be in right relationship with God the way those who had kept themselves pure all their life were. And I was so wrecked by that for a while until I read some of the passages we're going to unpack today and discovered, wow, that's not, that's not real because I see open arms, I see an embrace, I see a kiss. I see sandals and robes and rings. I just need to return. And Jesus is making this imagery so that we all know we can return no matter where we're at, no matter our scenario. It's unbelievable grace and forgiveness that God provides. That's what we have to run back towards when we come to our senses. So he leaves this at a cliffhanger though, right? The dad's talking to the older son, saying this is the way you should love. Here's the cliffhanger. Here's the moment. And then he leaves it. We don't see what happens. We don't know the end of this story. What happens with the older brother? Does he go into the party? Does he now say, well then give me my errands. I'm out of here. If that's the way you're going to love. We don't see it. 
So the religious rulers that were condemning Jesus for hanging with sinners now are put in this scenario of like, what did the older son do? So Jesus leaves a little cliffhanger there. So what's most unbelievable to this? I'm going to repeat through the story again. Because to me, one of the most unbelievable things in this story is the freedom of choice. Thought one, the freedom, the unbelievable freedom of choice. It's hard to grasp that the son would be audacious enough to even ask for his inheritance and tell his dad, I wish you were dead, dad. Can I have my moolah? You have a life insurance policy, right? How do we end your life? I wish you were dead. It's not working for me. I think I could do it better. I want to enjoy life while I have it to live. While I'm young, I want to just enjoy life. You know, we do this today. We do this. I I hear it often. um, Even when I make an invite, hey, you should come to church. You know, church, church, I'm not in a church season yet. Oh, what's a, what's a church season? And, uh, and they, well, you know, I'm just enjoying life. When I have kids, I'll probably get them back. It's good for them to go to church. Oh, okay. You know, you just, you just kind of be gracious and gentle and, and receive it and, and just go, okay. You know, but I, I, you see people come to when, and then they have kids and they don't show up at church because it's not the season yet. What, what would help you come back to your senses? So that's our job in prayer, right? It's the Lord, prepare the hearts of those who I'm going to invite because I want them to be in their sense. I want their mind to be fully functioning so that they can understand how much you care for them. Maybe when I settle down, I'll find a church. Okay, let's settle down already then. Let's settle down. Let's enjoy life. Build roots. Come on, let's do this. Not just blow to and fro. I don't know. I'm shocked by the give. I'm shocked that the father actually said, okay, let's see how you handle this. Here's a third. As of today, this is what I got. You know? Uh, It's kind of like the parent who packs the suitcase for the kid. Oh, you want to go? Let me get your suitcase. Throw a few rocks in there. Make it a little hard on them, you know. Uh, Ramona and Beezus, if you ever saw that old movie, and they kind of set her up to fail and not be able to even get the suitcase on the bus because it's too heavy. It's that moment. I was listening to a podcast uh, this last week by Andy Stanley on parenting, and he talked about the years... Uh, 15 to 18, he called them the coaching years, I think. And it's the years where they say, don't panic, right? Because you find weird stuff out and they say weird things because their brains have detached most of the time. Not insulting anybody. Uh, but, you know, not talking about my 16-year-old girls. Dear Jesus, pray for me. Uh, but the, uh, you know, no, they're great kids. But don't panic is one of the things they say because you're going to hear weird stuff. And then the other is, Allow natural consequences. Maybe that's what Jesus was illustrating here. God loves us enough to allow natural consequences. So the freedom of our choice. It's like, that's your choice. I'm going to let the leash out as far as you want to take it, but you might get tangled when you want to come back. Every once in a while, give it a gentle reminder, just so you know, if you go over there, it might happen like this, but whatever you want, I'm going to let it out. We used to have a dog on a leash in a farm I grew up on in Rochester, Washington. And, and it was on one of those zip line leash thingies the dog was. And, uh, 
it was off snooping around in the woods and a mountain lion comes down to our house and, and it sees that mountain lion and wants to get away. But it was trying to get as far as it could on that like zip line that it was tangled in a tree. I'll never forget that dog yipping and yipping and yipping. We're like, what is the dog going on about? And it is trying to like get away, but it's tangled in the woods. And a mountain lion is right there. So we go out and we're like screaming. The mountain lion runs away. And we go untangle the dog. I think sometimes we do that in our life. God allows us to take that string out. And, and we get tangled up. And when it's time that we know we want to come home, sometimes we're caught. And we need those around us to help us. And, and maybe we're the ones that are going to hear and recognize something's going on. We need to help untangle someone so they can find their way back to a father who loves them and for me that was like my great aunt who would send me like a annoying Jesus picture <laughs> you know and I'm praying for you and I'm just like dumb Pfft, didn't throw it away though or my parents who give me a, a bible why do I need this dust collector but I started reading it when I was 21 these seeds of people who cared enough to help me get untangled God has a way of giving us a choice of obedience or rebellion and you can see it throughout Scripture, ultimately, he'll not force us to live under his authority and blessing, his protection and provision. He lets us run with the leash as far as we want. The second thought that just I'm, and this one I'm just going to go off on because like this is the one that really just is like, wow, right? Part of the story is, is the unbelievable reception the son gets. Not just the reception, you know, but like how he's received ultimately. There's like this rock bottom moment that the son's in where he begins to plan this return, right? And it says he sets out and goes back. And I've always been caught up by that he sets out factor. Like not only is he thinking about a return, he just he sets out on that return. I don't know how long that time was, but it was do us good to set out before we ever get back. Just like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to at least go towards back. Take the first step. See where it leads. See how this goes. What would setting out on your way back to God look for you? Maybe for some it would be just being at church again next Sunday. Maybe for others it would be downloading the Bible app today and starting one of those four or seven day Easter Bible reading plans that there's like a million of out there. You even get a little like Easter badge if you complete it. A little like boom button on your you version so people can go, well, they read their Bible on Easter, right? So it's kind of, I don't know. It's one of those little things they do. You know, maybe it's you start praying this week. That's your setting out towards God. Okay, I'm going to open myself up again, God, to what you might be doing in my life. 
For you, it could be choosing to follow Jesus and just finally saying, I'm going to go from exploring Jesus to saying yes to him. I'm going to say, I choose to follow you, Jesus. I invite you into my life and I want to see the transformation that ensues. Set out to return to Jesus today. Don't waste any more time in the pig pen. There's a clear demonstration of grace, right? When the son, unclean, unkept, one with the pigs, is embraced by and kissed by his father. And the way he's received, his son, and how he runs to his son, I think of Romans 5.8, which says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Like while we're messy, while we're not right, while we're imperfect. And I think sometimes people feel they have to get their life right before they go to church. That's backwards. Come on in with the pig stuff on your face. Come on in right as you are. That's what's being illustrated here. And I love the show. Any Survivor fans out there? Like, I'm a, I'm a Survivor show fan, I have to admit it. We're still watching it. It's like in its 1,000th season or something. Uh, so that's one of those shows we just enjoy as a family and watching. And so Survivor, they always around day 30, 31, somewhere in that zone, have the loved ones episode where they miss home desperately. They're like crying on the beach by themselves because they miss home so bad. And they have told the show, if I make it this far, the loved one I would want to see is this person. And maybe sometimes it's a sister or brother or father or a spouse and they come running on the show and they're just weeping. And you watch them like run and they're hugging and kissing. That has to stink. They've been out there, no showers, right? Unless they've been on a reward the day before or something. But they just, you know, they've brushed their teeth by scraping their teeth with sticks. Like, that's not just morning breath. That's like 30 mornings breath. I can't imagine how bad that B.O. smells, right? And they're just like, whoa. You never see them really do that, you know? Like, you don't see that take. Like, no, don't hug me. You smell awful, right? Um, but you know they've got to. And it had to be kind of like that, right? I mean, they're just, it's gross. People haven't shaved, their beards are all getting all like fuzzy and stuff, and they're kissing their spouses, and it's just like they're stuck. And you're just like, that's the, the love of God, though, for us. That's what's being demonstrated here. It doesn't matter what you're like or how dirty you are, how messy it's been. The father in this story is painting this picture of embrace like that. And even more, you're getting the prize when he shows up. He sees who you are and whose you are beneath any of the filth. And so I just look at that and I go, man, while you were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like that's how much he loves us. And then this actual reception, the party, throws a party. Not only is there a physical demonstration of grace and the embrace and the sandals and the robe and the ring and all these elements that mean so much, he has a good Barbie 
a good barbecue party. He gets the fattened calf that they've been ripening for a special, special of all special occasions. And, and, and he invites everybody out. Look, my lost son is home. And God understands the value of his son in life and is just so pleased. And that's the reception. We're told when somebody makes a decision to surrender their life to Jesus, all of heaven celebrates. Like our true, we discover our true value again. This actual reception. And I, I was thinking, you know, it's, it's like having a $20 dollar bill that's just, you know, you have this life that is perfect. Right? And you're just like, Abby, do you want to come up here for a second? Just jump on up here. I know you're so outgoing and stuff. Run up the stairs. I need proof that this is, this is real. Um, it's just a $20 bill. And, uh, but it's really crispy, right? Like there's no folds in it and stuff. And yeah. yeah. So life comes about and you're like, I want my own life. And I'm going to go out and I am going, is, is this illegal? Anyway, so uh, you know, I'm going to just, I'm going to live life and, and I'm going to come back and you know, it's just going to get, life is going to get, this was nice and clean. There was nothing wrong with it, right? It's, life's going to mess with me and step all over me. And it, it's just going to be a mess. And you come back and now you're, you're dirty and you're unclean. But what is the value of this right here? It's still $20. It's still $20. John, you're out there, right, somewhere? You work in banking. Is this still worth $20? Yeah, yeah, it's still worth $20. So would you want it, even though it's, would you take it, if I would give it to you, you would want it? Yeah. Okay, there you go. Thank you for it's helping serious. me. Yeah, it's yours. Um, so, God's not going to turn away the son. He knows the son's worth. And he knows your value. And you might look at yourself in the mirror and think, but... Like I'm a mess. Inside I'm hiding where I'm really at. Things are painful and awkward and I'm nervous and doubtful about my future. I'm not worth anything anymore. God looks at you and he wants you to understand that's a lie. He knows your value. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. He has a purpose that only you can fulfill. And he wants all of us to grasp that for ourselves. But you're here on this planet so that everybody within your blast radius can understand that they're worth everything as well. That that's our job. To help people live life to the full. We can't think just because we're no longer crisp and we have a few wrinkles and we're a little dirty on the outside and inside, that God wouldn't welcome us back with open arms. Isaiah 61.10 says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. That's the grace of God. He'll say, I can clean all that up. No worries, I'm going to clothe you with righteousness. What would shock you most today if you were to come 
home to God or see someone you just couldn't imagine coming home to God, coming home to God. You know, it's like we might not realize it, but we ask for our inheritance from God all the time. We make choices where, oh, that's a great idea, God, but I know they, they preached about that, but I still got this. I'm going to do this on my own. I, I can control this a little better than maybe it could be controlled over here. My time, no, nah, I'm not going to, nah, I don't have enough time to give to the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to manage my own time. My finances, I'm not going to give any of that to the Lord. I can manage my own finance. Oh, my job, I'm not going to pray for my job. I got this under control. It's my gifts. I'm a self-made worker, right? You know, and we do all these things to just say, okay, Father, I don't need you here. Give me my inheritance. Bless me. We ask for a lot. But do we honor back? Do we come back to him and allow him to help us get to our full potential? I look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, and this is the section of scripture that got a hold of me when I thought I was a mess and undeserving of grace. And it said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? I was like, yeah, that's why I know I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's where I was at. But then it says, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm in a bunch of those clubs, I was telling myself in the mirror while I was rehearsing my return. And it gets to verse 11. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of Jesus. That's all it took. All it took was calling on the name of Jesus and trusting in Jesus and all my sins were forgiven. Would it shock you to be completely forgiven? Because that's what he's saying today. He wants your story to be such worse, some of you. That's what you were like. Not anymore. The message of Easter is not anymore. John 3, 17 says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. He's not there looking and going, yeah, you are a mess. In fact, this kind of right here, you were with pigs. I can't forgive you. It's not what he says. He embraces, he kisses, he welcomes home. Would it surprise you to be welcomed into the family with that kind of joy, that kind of reception, that kind of party? Hebrews 4.16 says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace of God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Where's our boldness on that road? We don't have to shuffle our feet and be timid and rehearse our speech of why maybe God should get us back and, and welcome us back. No, let's just come boldly and say, I'm embracing your grace today, Jesus. The sacrifice of God in this, to just lay down all the repercussions and say, let's throw a party instead of a rebuke. Jesus' life and sacrifice was God's expression of running out to those of us who are far off. Like this is an image, this week, this entire week is an image of God running to us with his arms open, puckering, right? It's a way for us to cross over from death to life. He was dead and now he's alive. The whole story, 
Romans 3.23 says, Everyone is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Jesus when, we, when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. Jesus took the bags we packed and left home with upon His shoulders and said, Welcome home. I'll carry them back to the house. By going to the cross, He did that. Jesus is the way home. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is how we get true peace and life to the full. Hand over your baggage today. Run to the Father and think, man, my neighbor's son needs to come home. My neighbor needs to come home. My coworker needs to come home. My family needs to come home. We must love like this. And this is a great week to do so. Our action point is this. Embrace the unbelievable. If we embrace the true heart of this, the unbelievable facts of this parable Jesus demonstrates to the religious people of his just unbelievable love and forgiveness, then we're going to transform those around us. This is Easter week and people are open. Maybe you're here today because you're open. And you're saying, I know, I'm, that's why I'm here. God's welcoming you home. But maybe you know some who need to come home. And you're like, I'm nervous to ask them. Like, I'm nervous to invite someone. Don't be the older brother. Hand that invite over. They need you. They need your love. They need your heart for people. If you're the son today, embrace salvation and love and forgiveness. If you're the older brother today, lay that down and come into the party and welcome others into the party. Invite everyone you know to come hear the gospel because we're going to continue to clearly proclaim it for the next three weeks. Really, we do every week, but specifically during this Easter season, we're going to continue. Embrace the unbelievable and give it away to those who need to come home. Can I pray for you today? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have today to, to come home. And we need to daily. We make choices daily that put us in a, a space where we need to turn back and say, God, I took it on my own. That, that moment right there was on me. I walked away from your wisdom there. I walked away from your heart there. I wasn't obedient to you there. And yet you're constantly there with your arms open, running after us, loving us. And today, if some have not run home, they've not come home to the Father and said, invited Jesus into their life so that they can completely be free from the past. Lord, I pray they would make that decision right now. That they would choose to follow Jesus, invite you into their life, and, and leave here fresh and just be sharers of this incredible news that everybody can come home. If that's you and you just want to get right with God today. You want to come home and say, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I want to follow you the rest of the days of my life. I want to grow in relationship with you. Thank you, God, for welcoming me home. I love you. I'm sorry for where I've been, but thank you for the incredible welcome today. And God, for those of us that wrestle 
as the older brother did with those who walk through the door that are unclean and a mess and life is just worn down. Lord, let us not be the obstacle to someone finding your grace. Let us not be the one who stays silent and just keeps working in the field. Let us invite everybody to the party. Let us invite everybody to come home. And God, as we celebrate what you did through your son Jesus on the cross this week, as we celebrate the, the risen Lord next Sunday on Resurrection Sunday, God, may this be a powerful week for us to understand why we're put on this planet to make a difference to those around us and exemplify this kind of love we read about today in Jesus' name. Amen. The worship team is going to lead us as you just process what God wants you to do with this talk today. And then Jaden will come and close.